0: It's February 16th. This is the one-year Bible tour. My name is David McAdam, and today we are beginning the third book in the Bible, the book of Leviticus, and we are now in the second book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark. And so as your tour guide on this reading trail, I want you to consider the book of Leviticus as a lookout point You don't abandon your progress in reading the Bible just because the plot does not seem to advance. It's true that the third book in the Bible drops the storyline that we've been following in Genesis and Exodus, but the book of Leviticus gives us a view of God's holiness that we will need for the rest of our journey, so fuel up on what you learn here. Sadly, some readers jettison the whole worthy goal of completing their one-year Bible reading when they get to the book of Leviticus because it reads like a cookbook, the back of a medicine bottle, or a foreign dictionary. They quickly dismiss it as being boring, irrelevant, or archaic. A cookbook is not boring or irrelevant to someone desperately searching for a winning recipe. The instructions printed on the back of a medicine bottle are there for life-saving reasons, understanding the vocabulary of the country in which you intend to live will help you understand and communicate necessary information and so the details recorded in the book of leviticus are relevant for understanding god's holiness whereas in the book of exodus six chapters contain the building manual for the tabernacle as we read in exodus chapters 25 through 31 verse 11 the book of leviticus contains the user's manual for the tabernacle is an intense instruction book. More specifically, it is an intense instruction book. It tells us what's required for holiness in the tent of the Lord, the tabernacle of worship, in chapters 1 to 10, and what is required for holiness in the tent of our lives, the tabernacle of our bodies, in chapters 11 through 15, and the tent of meeting, our social lives, in chapters 17 to 27. We learn that God is holy and that we are to be holy. We get a picture of the problem of sin and its effect in our lives. We learn why we need a Savior. So let's begin reading the book of Leviticus. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. We start with the laws for burnt offerings. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord... You shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. And he shall kill the bull before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priest, shall bring the blood, and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall flay the burnt offering, and cut it into pieces. And the sons of Aaron the priest shall put fire on the altar, and arrange wood on the fire. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall arrange the pieces, the head, and the fat, on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. But its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water. And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his gift for a burnt offering is from the flock, from the sheep or goats, he shall bring a male without blemish, and he shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priests, shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar, and he shall cut it into pieces with its head and its fat and the priest shall arrange them on the wood that is on the fire on the altar, but the entrails and the legs he shall wash with water, and the priest shall offer all of it and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or pigeons, and the priest shall bring it to the altar, and wring off its head and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out on the sides of the altar. He shall remove its crop with its contents and cast it beside the altar on the east side, in the place for ashes. He shall tear it open by its wings, but shall not sever it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar, on the wood that is on the fire. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord chapter 2 laws for grain offerings when anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord his offering shall be of fine flour. he shall put oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons the priests and he shall take from it a handful of fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense and the priest shall burn this as its memorial portion on the altar a food-offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain-offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food-offerings. When you bring a grain-offering baked in the oven as an offering, it shall be unleavened loaves of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers smeared with oil, and if your offering is a grain-offering baked on a griddle, it shall be of fine flour unleavened mixed with oil you shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. And if your offering is a grain offering cooked in a pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. And you shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. And the priest shall take from the grain offering its memorial portion and burn this on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons it is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings no grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey as a food offering to the Lord as an offering of firstfruits you may bring them to the Lord but they shall not be offered on the altar for a pleasing aroma you shall season all your grain offerings with salt you shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings you shall offer salt. If you offer a grain offering of first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits fresh ears roasted with fire, crushed new grain. And you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering. And the priest shall burn as its memorial portion some of the crushed grain, and some of the oil, with all of its frankincense. It is a food offering to the Lord. Chapter 3. Laws for Peace Offerings If his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall throw the blood against the sides of the altar. And from the sacrifice of the peace offering, as a food offering to the Lord, he shall offer the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. Then Aaron's sons shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering, which is on the wood on the fire. It is a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his offering for a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord is an animal from the flock, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. If he offers a lamb for his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord. Lay his hand on the head of his offering, and kill it in front of the tent of meeting. An Aaron's son shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar, Then from the sacrifice of the peace offering he shall offer as a food offering to the Lord its fat. He shall remove the whole fat tail, cut off close to the backbone, and the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. And the priest shall burn it on the altar as a food offering to the Lord. If his offering is a goat, Then he shall offer it before the Lord, and lay his hand on its head, and kill it in front of the tent of meeting. And the sons of Aaron shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. Then he shall offer from it, as his offering for a food offering to the Lord, the fat covering the entrails, and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver, that he shall remove with the kidneys." and the priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering with a pleasing aroma. All fat is the Lord's. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places that you eat neither fat nor blood. There you have our reading from the first chapters of Leviticus. I'm sure you found that different. We must not forget what Jesus said about the books of Moses that is, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He said, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms. In Luke 24, verse 44, the writer of the book of Hebrews explains, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased then i said here i am it is written about me in the scroll i have come to do your will o god hebrews chapter 10 verses 5 to 7 the lord was not pleased with the burnt offerings themselves but what the burnt offering represented The burnt offerings prophetically pictured the offering of the body of Jesus Christ on behalf of the unholy. Jesus said, A body you have prepared for me. It is written of me in the volume of the book. Both the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament and the book of Hebrews in the New Testament build on the foundation of what is written in the book of Leviticus. Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day that professed knowledge of the scriptures but were blind to the fact that the scriptures were testifying of himself, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. In John chapter 5 verses 39 to 40. These are the scriptures that testify about me, Jesus said. Throughout all human history, God had Jesus' sacrifice on the cross in mind. John the Baptist announced the Messiah as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29. In the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, we read about the book of life belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. The sacrificial system decreed at Mount Sinai becomes a divinely ordained placeholder, pointing to the central event of human history, the crucifixion, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, the atoning Lamb of God. Why was there a need for the Messiah, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world? Because God is holy. The prophet Habakkuk speaks of him saying, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. In Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13, God is perfectly just and true. He does not ignore sin. He is also a God of love and mercy. God's wisdom ordained from the beginning that His nature of impeccable justice and immeasurable love be satisfied by His becoming a man and reconciling sinners to Himself in the person of His Son. It would require the ultimate sacrifice, something only a holy God-man could accomplish, It would require a perfect sacrifice, one of an unblemished, undefiled, perfectly lived life offered as a substitute to acquit the guilty. God does not offer forgiveness on an emotional whim. He offers it on the grounds of His love, His righteousness, and His justice. God instructed that for a certain period of time, animals be sacrificed as a substitute for the one true Lamb of God. The perfect sacrifice of Christ would render all other religious sacrifices useless his would be the once and for all sacrifice in hebrews chapter 10 verse 10 the various sacrifices described in the book of leviticus are therefore symbols of the sacrifice which worshipers could not themselves provide but would be provided by god in christ the first five chapters of leviticus describe the five major sacrifices that must be provided to atone for sinful humankind. The first three, the burnt offering, grain offering, and peace offering, are sweet-smelling sacrifices. These are about the virtues of Christ being brought to the fore to be perpetually remembered on our behalf. The last two sacrifices, the sin and trespass offering, are not sweet-smelling. They represent Christ bearing God's anger against sin and fulfilling the law that demands its death penalty. These sacrifices demonstrate that God hates the principle of sin that is at work in mankind. Sins and trespasses must be and will be put away and perpetually forgotten when Jesus becomes our sin offering on the cross. The first three chapters focus on the sweet-smelling sacrifices— A pleasant smell brings something pleasant to mind. When you smell fresh bread, it may trigger a pleasant associated memory or anticipation for a pleasant meal. Sweet-smelling sacrifices speak of that which is received by God as being worthily memorable and pleasant. The good news is that these positive virtues represented by the first three offerings are something that reminds God of the Son in whom He is well-pleased. The sweet-smelling sacrifices represent the all-satisfying righteousness of Christ offered on our behalf. His righteous life is given in place of our unrighteous life. His offering is a propitiation, a theological term denoting that it is fully satisfying to God's sensibilities. He does this that we might be accepted rather than rejected. Through Jesus offering Himself in our place before God, his satisfying virtues are credited to us. God made Christ to be our perfect solution, that is our wisdom from above, our righteousness, sanctification and redemption. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30. All of the sacrifices are made by fire. The fire is a symbol of God's presence in Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 24, and the fire for the tabernacle sacrifices actually came from the Lord. In Leviticus chapter 9, verse 24, we read, Then fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the portions of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. The fire brings out the fragrance of the sweet-smelling, burnt, meal, and peace offering that destroys the smell of the sin and trespass offering. The fire must be maintained and never go out. In Leviticus chapter 6 verse 13. So in Leviticus chapter 1 we read about the burnt offering, which represents perfect devotion unto the Father. In chapter 1, Jesus is our burnt offering, representing full perfect devotion to God. Hands are laid on the head of the animal, speaking of the animal's identification with the people and the people with the animal. The burnt offering must be a male without blemish in Leviticus chapter 1 verse 3 fully surrendered to make us acceptable to God, in verse 4. Every part of the body is used, in verse 9. It is a picture of full consecration that is pleasing to the Lord. In Leviticus chapter 2, we read about the meal offering, which represents sanctification and service for the sake of others. In chapter 2, Jesus is the fulfillment of the grain offering. For Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. In John chapter 12 verse 24, Jesus was speaking about the necessity of his death in order that the righteousness his righteousness be reproduced, and many sons be brought into glory. The burnt offering speaks of Christ's personal consecration to God. The grain offering speaks of Christ consecrating himself to God for the benefit of others. In John chapter 17, verse 19, the grain of this offering was planted, cultivated, harvested, broken down, and prepared by the hands of men. The grain is pounded into a fine flour, ground often with a hammering or grinding object against the stone. This speaks of Jesus' humble submission that led to his obedience to death on the cross on our behalf. Whereas the burnt offering was to be without blemish, in verse 3 of chapter 1, the grain offering was to be without leaven, in chapter 2, verse 11. Leaven sets up the work of disintegration. It is a corrupting influence. Jesus warned his disciples to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, in Matthew 16, verse 6. The leaven of the Pharisees was hypocrisy. The leaven of the Sadducees was rationalism. The leaven of the Herodians was worldliness and materialism. Paul taught that the leaven that needs to be thoroughly purged from our hearts is the leaven of malice and wickedness in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 8. The grain offering was to be without honey. Honey ferments. Natural sweetness and human sentimentality, based on affections that fall short of valuing the things of God over and above the things of men, are corrupting influences. You can see that in Matthew chapter 16, verses 22 to 23. None of these things were mixed into the motivations of Christ's humanity. The meal offering must be offered with salt. Salt was a precious commodity in the Middle East. We get the word salary from salt, from the Latin salarium. You hear people say, they are not worth their salt. This is because salt was used as a premium item for trade. Salt savers. Salt stops the spread of corruption and makes you thirsty. All of these catalytic qualities are found in Christ. The meal offering was offered with oil, representing the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and frankincense, another ingredient that provided for its sweet fragrance. In Leviticus chapter 3, we read of the peace offering, which speaks of fellowship with God. This is another animal sacrifice without blemish. Whereas the burnt offering was gender-specific, a male, The peace offering could be male or female. The burnt offering could be a bull or a bird. The peace offering could not be a bird. Hands are laid on the head of the animal, speaking of the animal's identification with the people and the people with the animal. It is a food offering as well as a sweet smelling offering. The offerers could not partake of the burnt offering. They could and did partake of the peace offering. They could eat it on the day it was sacrificed or the day after, but not on the third day. In Leviticus chapter 19 verses 5 to 8. An Israelite could not slaughter an animal for eating without bringing it first to the tabernacle for a peace offering. There can be no partaking of fellowship apart from the peace offering, that is Jesus Christ. In Leviticus chapter 17 verse 3, Any Israelite who sacrifices an ox, a lamb, or a goat in the camp, or outside of it, instead of bringing it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to present it as an offering to the Lord, in front of the tabernacle of the Lord, that man shall be considered guilty of bloodshed. He has shed blood and must be cut off from his people. This reminds us that there is no spiritual fellowship with the Father, the Spirit, or our brothers and sisters apart from Christ. Now let's read from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 29. Jesus heals many, beginning verse 29 of chapter 1. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, They brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Chapter 2 Jesus heals a paralytic. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. So let's take a few moments to reflect upon this action-packed account written by Mark. After the synagogue service, Jesus stops at Peter's mother-in-law's house in Capernaum. Yes, Peter had a wife. Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law of a debilitating fever. He simply took her by the hand and the fever was dispersed and Peter's mother-in-law was on her feet serving them. Jesus healed many sick people and cast out many demons. He forbade the demons to speak. Jesus knew that demons and unregenerate people are not reliable testimonies and that they may speak of aspects of the truth, but they do not know the gospel. Notice Jesus' habit of early morning prayer in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. He knew where to go for his daily marching orders. He kept his God-given commission in view in verse 38. Jesus is both willing and able to heal the leper. Leprosy is a type of sin, as we will see in the book of Leviticus. Jesus is willing and able to deal with what no one else can Again Jesus tells the healed leper to say nothing to anyone but to go to the priest to be pronounced clean there. Until the resurrection the gospel is not yet understood and the leper must fulfill the responsibilities of the law as given in Leviticus. Nevertheless the man began to speak and in general Jesus was not able to enter cities publicly any longer. In Mark chapter 1 verse 45 when the leper goes to the authorities to present himself as having been healed, this should signal to the religious authorities that indeed the Messiah had come. But we have no record that the authorities gave any heed to these messianic signs. The healing of the paralytic reminds us that sometimes people cannot come to Jesus without help from their friends. And of course, this healing makes it clear that the forgiveness of sin, which God alone can provide, is something that Jesus demonstrated that he can do. Thereby, he was claiming his equality with God in Mark 2, verses 10 to 11. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And now we'll be reading from the book of Psalms, Psalm 35, verses 17 to 18. And reading will be our brother Peter Healy,
1: How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions. I will thank you in the great congregation. In the mighty throng I will praise you. Let not those rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes, and let not those who wink the eye, who hate me without cause. For they do not speak peace. But against those who are quiet in the land, they devise words of deceit. They open wide their mouths against me and say, Ah, ah, their eyes have seen it. You have seen, O Lord. Be not silent. O Lord, be not far from me. Awake and rouse yourself for my vindication, for my cause, my God and my Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness. Let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, Ah, our heart's desire. Let them not say, We have swallowed him up. Let them be put to shame and disappointment altogether, who rejoice in my calamity. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor, who magnify themselves against me. Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad, and say evermore, Great is the Lord, who delights in the welfare of his servant. Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long.
0: Thank you, Peter. This is the conclusion of the Imprecatory Psalm, where the psalmist is wanting to see judgment fall on his perceived enemies psalm 35 verse 26 says let those be ashamed and humiliated altogether who rejoice at my distress let those be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves over me we can sense that the psalmist is suffering prolonged opposition and abuse we can add this psalm to a list of psalms where the psalmist asks how long O lord verse 17 lord how long will you look on Rescue my soul from their ravages, my only life from the lions. Yet he appeals to God's righteousness in verses 24 and 28 and concludes this psalm in the spirit of thanksgiving. It reminds us that we need to keep the big picture of God's mercies in view when we are going through difficult times. Verse 18 I will give you thanks in the great congregation, I will praise you among a mighty throng. Verse 28 And my tongue shall declare your righteousness and your praise all day long and now for today's reading from the book of proverbs proverbs chapter 9 verses 13 to 18 as we have seen already the book of proverbs personifies wisdom and folly as two women personification is a literary device to show how these abstract qualities of wisdom and foolishness act upon our lives do we listen to advice that is boisterous but not truly sound Is our attention grabbed by in-your-face advertising, and do we allow ourselves to be persuaded by her idle claims? Foolish and naivete pay heed to the false promise that you can get away with sin and keep it a secret. Advertisers and tempters don't let you know that death and hell are certain side effects of departing from God's way. So let's hear the word of the Lord, beginning with verse 13. This is a description of human foolishness. The woman of folly is boisterous, she is naive and knows nothing. She sits at the doorway of her house, on a seat by the high places of the city, calling to those who pass by, who are making their paths straight. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. and to him who lacks understanding she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We rejoice in the holy devotion of Christ, who loved us and gave himself completely as our burnt offering, his selfless setting himself apart for us in humble submission as our meal offering, in order that we might be a partaker of his nature and his representation of us before you as our peace offering, that we might enjoy fellowship before you in one spirit. Thank you for the user's manual of the book of Leviticus that teaches us that the perfections of Christ give us bold access into your presence. Help us not to receive this grace in vain, but to draw near to you with the full assurance of faith in the gospel. Father, you have revealed to us that Jesus is your perfect communication and has the power to forgive sins. May we be faithful to testify to the truth about him, Fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we may declare his righteousness and praise all day long. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Thank you for joining us in this year's Bible Reading Tour. I hope you're finding it helpful. There are some who say that you read the Bible just as you would any other book. What they may be missing is that the Bible is not just like any other book. It is distinct in its revelatory nature and requires the illumination of the Spirit. You remember that Jesus opened the eyes and set the hearts of his disciples ablaze after he rose from the dead and met with them on the Emmaus Road in Luke chapter 24. There he explained the scriptures to them and gave them understanding. Our prayer is that he will continue to be at work opening our eyes and setting our hearts on fire. If this podcast is a blessing to you, or if you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you, and you can write us at podcast at newlife.org. And you can learn more about the ministries of New Life at our website, newlife.org, and also subscribe to a free daily email with a written commentary with charts and maps and pictures that help you navigate your way through the one-year Bible readings. The website's easy to find, newlife.org. And don't forget to let others know about this podcast. Responding, indicating a like or clicking subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts, will help us in our mission to spread the word and the love of the truth. God bless you, and may he keep you looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Shalom.